You're listening to Life and Leadership, A Conscious Journey, the podcast that shares wisdom and strength. Join your host, Dr. Michelle St. Jane's weekly conversation on how to have a positive impact for people, planet, and the wider world. If you want to live a life of intention, be proactive with your time, and bring your vision for the future to life one today at a time, you are in the right place at the right time. Let's get started. certain times in my life I've found myself trekking alone, along an ever-changing path of curiosity that at times continued to be paralyzing at moments in the cragginess of the climb, be it down into the darkness of the cave or upwards into the light of my consciousness. There are times when we feel like we cannot move freely in our thoughts and actions, when we feel as if we're struck, as if we're stuck. This too is a place to explore and leave. I know it is my time to act differently. Even if I have to leave others behind, I am meant to be where I am. Always it is the right time for taking responsibility and respecting the power of my thoughts. There are newly emerging fields such as spiritual and contemplative studies, peace studies and transformative leadership research worthy of our attention. Transformation leadership development expert Scott Jay Spears joins me in conversation around time. Scott is a global consultant who believes life is a puzzle. Piece it together and organize it with your time. It's all about time, life, self. That's time management, life organization, and self-connection. When you complete a puzzle, doesn't it feel amazing? A sense of accomplishment that you were able to do it. My favorite puzzles are wazzy jigs. That's jigsaw spelt backwards. There are three aspects of time we'll speak about in this conversation. Aeon, time of eternal and enduring cycles. Think centuries. Chronos, time on the clock. Deadlines, the space full of demands. Think human doing. Kairos is time and creativity, being in flow or spiritual time. Think human being. In my doctorate, I reflected on the significance of time, the different aspects, impacts, and blessings. Time was made the keystone of a moon gate framing the theories and thoughts leaders I considered. When the keystone was inserted, time emerged as the pervasive and unifying theme, the interplay of Kronos and Kairos across the archway became visible. Contemplating different aspects of time when reflected on by a prison that was created, it lit up the moon gate at its center, showing the twists and turns of kaleidoscopic images. This made visible the chaos of the markets and the creativity, diversity of people and nature as it all came into focus on my fieldwork. The recognition of Kronos being on the clock and Kairos being on spiritual time and flow allowed for the noticing of synergies sparked by their appearances in terms of time, space, mattering. In these modern liquid times, a term coined by authors of moral blindness, Zygmunt Bauman and Leondis Donosky, around 2013, these authors highlighted actions and attitudes through the concept of a diaphora, which implies an attitude of indifference to what is happening in the world, like a moral numbness. This means the placing of certain acts or categories of human beings 
outside of the universe of moral obligations and evaluations. Suggestions for productive currency in a contested space of Aeon, Kronos, and Kairos time were delivered in my doctorate. In a moment, we'll be joined by Scott J. Spears. Scott, you joined the Army at 17 and evolved into a global consultant in 2020. And you're a person who's lived and worked in 52 countries in what I would imagine is around 50 years. Most of the scholarly research is around this chronological time, this being on what's called chronos or the cannibalization of us in that time, because we're also social and creative beings. So if everything is sort of informing the management or leadership realm is around clock time, maintaining its supremacy, the dominance over our lives, it's the Hans uh, Rummo calls it the economics change to be translated into money, then translates into your worth. And if you fall asleep or you get sick, hmm, not a lot of worth left there, is there? So I can really relate to that sort of form of paralysis and needing that time for reflection or snap to in its decision time, right? Right, right. So how did Jamaica work for you? Oh, Jamaica was great. It was a helpful reset, let's say, in my life that propelled me to realize what I really wanted to do. And that was when I finalized the divorce. Because I was, I was kind of up in the air, like, do I want to try to make this work? It's the right thing. I have a daughter. We have to learn how to be selfish at some times in our life. And if it's just not going to work, then you got to move on, no matter who is involved. But the most important person in your life is yourself. And if you can't be happy, then you can't make anybody else happy. I know that sounds cliche, but that's true experience that I had in my life realizing that when I finally got in touch with myself. Absolutely, absolutely. And what might be working for one person or two may not be working. It's really hard to stay in that space. So when did Latin America come into it? Well, let's see. After Jamaica, I went to China. Um, that was my base then. And then I was traveling nonstop. Sometimes I'd be in three different continents in, in one week. Waking up in the middle of the night saying, okay, where am I again? Oh, yeah. Okay, here I am. All right. But it was great. I had a blast. I love to travel. I love experiencing different cultures, food, of course, and just constantly learning. That was the perfect situation for me. But let's say 2016 is when I was transferred to Latin America region. And that's when the job started to, frankly, suck. <laughs> It wasn't fun anymore. After working here in Latin America for maybe two years, two years, just nonstop, again, kind of like the Nigeria situation, I was doing a lot more than what I should have, trying to balance more. But again, life has lessons for you. And that's when I learned about ego uh, the hard way because I burned out again, juggling too much. I was feeling low on energy. And one night I just hit the wall and died clinically died from burnout this time. I was out for a couple, three minutes is what they tell me. Boy, that's a wake-up call, isn't it? That's seriously a wake-up call. I like the way you kind of called it. You're a simple zombie through to October 2019. And I really appreciate that you also bring in areas like the depths of depression and things like that, because when we're out of balance, there can be physical symptoms, mental symptoms, spiritual symptoms. And we're just expected to do so much. And 
I can relate. I used to do 60, 80, 100 hour work weeks and I was holding Europe through to California. So it only left me a four hour window to sleep and parent by text and things like that. I know you have five tips for taking back control of your life. I quite like those. Would you like to speak to those? Like organize today and succeed tomorrow? Oh, well, I have what I I call it a five by 20, right? And it's 20% for these five things, 20% each. And the first one is time management. And that's what I really focus on when I'm coaching individuals and businesses is Time management is the foundation to everything. If you don't know what you're doing today, tomorrow, the next week, have any kind of inclination. I know a lot of people are very spontaneous. That's great. I'm not asking people to throw away their spontaneity, but to have some sort of structure with their time so they know, okay, at least I know what I have to do, right? So many people wake up in the morning and they're like, oh, what am I going to do today? Rather than okay, I have these three objectives I need to kill today to be productive. Everything else that I want to do, I can fit it in between there. But time management, like I said, is the foundation, but it's only 20%. The rest is related to your energy. And that's what I learned when you said having this burnout to death as a wake-up call. Yeah, it was a wake-up call to a point, but not like you would expect. Because I didn't change anything in my life. And that's what led to an eventual deep, deep depression that I fell into. And that's how now I was able to look at why these next four things attribute to the other 20 plus 20 plus 20 plus 20 percent. And those are your energies, your mental energy, your physical energy being like your diet, your sleep, your exercise, mental energy being like your mood, emotional energy. How are you? Are you in touch with how you are feeling throughout the day? Because if you're not in touch with how you're feeling, then you don't know how to get out of that feeling to however you want to feel. And then I would say the last one is divine or spiritual energy. And that's basically, do you feel like you have a purpose? Do you feel like you know where you're going with your life? And that's where I was, again, in a stagnant point for the next three years after I died. I didn't change anything. I continued doing everything the same way. And that's why I went in that slow decline into a very deep depression. So that's my five by 20 rule, time management and those energies. I'm totally on board, totally on board. I often, having spent decades in the C-suite in the corporate world and my own businesses, it was very easy to get cannibalized by Kronos, always being on the clock, thinking I'll get one more thing done and then I can relax. And around 2003, I flipped into a different type of time, which is Kairos time, which is what I think you're referring to with this divine purpose, like what am I waking up to do? How can I serve? Where is it that I contribute? And moving away from just being on the sort of bureaucracy of chaos and rigid rituals that don't necessarily serve. Well, it certainly didn't serve me because I was more of a human doing than a human being for a very long time. <laughs> I can relate. Yeah, well, I can tell. I knew this was going to be a robust conversation. And I also think you're a vivid visionary. I mean, I love what your best advice about the future was, is not to live in it, but visualize it. Share how you do this. I think everybody needs to have a ritual, a daily ritual or habits, however you want to call them, without jumping into the (laughs) woo-woo. 
but I call them a, a daily ritual in the morning. I like to first thing I do is like to smile for 30 seconds, even if I'm not feeling it. If you smile, it automatically releases those brain chemicals that reduce stress and anxiety without you even having to do anything else, but just to smile, even if you fake it. So that's one. The night before, I plan out three things that I want to do for the next day. And before I go to bed, I visualize those things being completed. How am I going to complete those? When the next day starts, I'm smiling, and then I just have to work on my energy, make sure I'm in the right frame of mind to jump into whatever I've got to do, those three things. And that could vary for anybody. I like to exercise. I like to get some physical exercise in. And then I like to do some meditation just to calm the mind and try to block out all the other thoughts that come in to try to distract me from the three things that I want to do that day. So visualization, manifestation, also time management is a form of manifestation that I like to say to people that you're actually manifesting what you want to happen when you're writing down your list, your to-do list, your agenda, that's actually manifesting what you want to do. That's how I practice that. Very interesting. Given I'm in Bermuda, living near or around where Atlantis used to be, Atlanteans used to believe in personics. If you can believe it, you can do it, which nicely sums up your rituals. If you can see it and believe it, you call it into your world. And I like the way you talk about dealing with your feelings and your thoughts, because I've decided in my life, feelings and thoughts are visitors. They're welcome. Share your message. Move on. I'll take what I can use and I'll leave the rest. And if I need a reminder, I'm sure you'll be back. (laughs) Yeah, I learned that in India. When I went through my deep depression, I realized I needed to go somewhere that I had never been before to get out of that funk I was in. And luckily it happened right before the pandemic. And I went to India and I did a Vipassana meditation, which is a 10 day silent meditation where you disconnect from everything. You don't talk to anybody and you just go and meditate for about eight hours a day, an hour at a time. And you do a body scan and you learn this process of how to let go of the thoughts that are constantly coming in. It's definitely not easy. It's not for everybody. But it was huge for me and what propelled me into what I'm doing now. And I learned the mind over matter trick during that meditation, because when you sit there, you're not supposed to move for an hour. And that sounds pretty easy. Like, I don't move when I watch TV for an hour. But no, when you're sitting in a meditation pose and then all of a sudden all those aches and pains from years before start cropping up. And I had a really bad issue with my knee at the time. And one day I had to have a battle because I couldn't sit still for the first four days. I kept having to move my leg out once in a while and bring it back in and jump back into the meditation. But one day I said, okay, I think it was on the fourth day. I said, no. I'm going to do it. I'm going to sit through it. I'm going to face this pain. And that's what I did. And I did this body scan and then realizing my knee was screaming to move. And my mind started having this argument with my knee at the moment and saying, no, you're not going to move. It's not your turn yet. When we reach to you, you can speak basically is, is kind of like the easiest way to explain what's happening here. And when that happened, then the pain actually subsided. It didn't go away totally, but it decreased significantly. And when that happened, I was like, wow, this is deep right here. So 
learning that and then I have attributed that and applied it to the depression that I was in and any other thoughts that would be coming in. It's like, okay, it's not your turn. It's not your turn. Get out of here. Get out of here. I'm focused on one thing right now. And that's what I'm doing here in the present, in the now. And that's what I try to bring into my life and teach others in my coaching is this mindfulness. Get that multitasking crap out of here. It's overrated. It does nothing but slow you down and put out less of a product of what you're trying to put out in the world. Just focus on what's in front of you. So that's what I learned through that process there. So you're a dad. What do you most admire about your daughter? Oh, her drive. Well, she's a lot like me. I don't want to say like, you know, I'm being stuck up or anything, but she loves to travel. I'm so grateful that I was able to bring her to a lot of places in the world. And even after the divorce, she's still been able to travel a lot. And she just has these big dreams. She's very ambitious. She's learning three languages, Japanese, Mandarin, starting on Korean now. So yeah, I just push her. But with everything that I've learned, I always try to coach her as well. Say, hey, make time for yourself. Breathe. It's great to be ambitious, but make time for yourself as well. You have to do that. Keep the balance. If you could have everything your way over the next 20 years, what do you hope, A, that you would achieve and the world would shift to? Wow, good question. Well, I want to help as many people as possible on a personal level, individually, with the self-connection, learning how to get in touch with themselves and find out about their life. Because everybody gets so distracted with everything else going on, they always leave themselves for last. And usually they're too damn tired to even get in touch with themselves. So that's one. And then the other is one where I'm venturing out now is trying to help companies leadership transformation. There's a lot of leadership development out there, but I think that's kind of cliche these days because a lot of it is the same, but we're not looking at the real problem. And to me, the real problem from my experience and others' experience is, okay, we have to cut costs and increase profit. And there's only so much time that you can do that. And looking at a lot of statistics these days, now we're looking at millennials have taken over the workforce. I think it's 53% compared to everybody else now. And this intergenerational harmonization that we need to do, take advantage of everybody's strengths, Gen X, millennial, Gen Z coming in and take advantage of everybody's talents, but at the same time, reduce the turnover. We have I think 60 to 70% of employee turnover is voluntary. And most of that has to do with being people feeling like they're being burnt out. They just don't have time. And managers, executives, they need to understand the cost. First of all, I think it ranges like 12 employees, depending on their salary, can range from $250,000 to replace them to one and a half million. Again, it varies on the percentages and everything and the time that you lose in production and experience of somebody that's been in place going and having to replace them, train them, et cetera. So what I'm working on now and what I'm trying, what I'd really like to do in the world and change this whole corporate mentality of treat people like your OPEX. If you're taking care of your cars, your vehicles, your company cars changing their oil, if you're taking care of the electric bill, your power, hey, humans need that too. 
But what I find is wellness programs really don't work unless it's driven by the leadership in the company. You can have a yoga teacher come in and show them how to stretch once a week, but you send these invites out and they're going to get canceled or I'm sorry, deleted. Nobody's going to show up. I mean, they might show up just to get out of work. And those are the people that you really want to keep in your company anyway. What I want to do is train the leadership in how to take care of the employees. It's not just HR's responsibility. It's the leadership. So that's my goal right now is to train, to change this whole corporate mentality and make work a healthy place where people don't feel exhausted and drained. And when they come home, they have no energy for their life. And of course, they're going to want to leave if they do that. And it's just a vicious cycle. Well, clearly, I'm hearing you're turning your bad experiences like an alchemist into gold. You're just taking all this raw material and spinning it into gold. And it's much needed in the world. I really appreciate you, Scott. Any last words as we wrap up? No, not really. I think we we hit everything. (laughs) Any programs that you'd like my listeners to hear about? I will put them in the show notes as well. Sure. I'm doing the Time Life Self program for individuals. And that's starting with time management, getting life organized, and then that self-connection. That's where I'm helping individuals on the coaching side. And then again, on the business side, on the corporate side, helping with the leadership transformation. And all of that information I'm putting out on Instagram and my website. My website will be totally transformed here soon, too. It's pretty basic. (laughs) We'll put it all in the show notes. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. Dr. Michelle St. Jane is a conscious steward of meaningful leadership in the world and the wider cosmos. Tune in every Thursday for real talk around life, leadership, and your conscious journey. Be ready to create and cultivate your dreams and soul-hearted desires. Your support is valued. Please subscribe. Leave a review and a rating. But more importantly, share with your connections.